Amen. Guys, would you grab a Bible? Uh, This morning, we continue our verse-by-verse study in the book of Daniel. Excited to be doing that this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. So hopefully you got a Bible with you. If you're opening it up physically, electronically, that would be great either way. Speaking to you guys online, just saying the same. We are excited to have you with us, but join us. Hopefully you have a Bible, opening it up, so that this morning, as we work through this, God would speak to you and to each one of us through and by his word. So Bible's just before us. Let's take a moment and ask for that, that God would indeed just take this moment and this space and give us ears to hear what he would have us to hear. I'm going to lead in that, but I'm hoping you would pray as well. Father, here we are needing just you to speak to us. God, if that takes place, it's going to be you that does it. So all confidence and hope now placed in you, we ask for it. Would you just work in us so that what you're wanting to speak to us today, we would hear anything that just makes it difficult for that to happen. Would you strengthen us physically, emotionally, spiritually? Would you cleanse where that's needed? Would you touch lives? Would you open up our hearts, our understanding to your truth and cause it so that your word is known to us this morning and you speak to us? Lord, that's our need, and we ask it from you right now and right here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Living right side up in an upside down world. That's been the series title that we've given to our study in the book of Daniel. And I want to take a moment just to remind you about that as we begin this morning that we're really looking at this, and one of the themes that you find in the book of Daniel is this incredible place of when the world is wrong, when it's upside down, how to do the right thing, how to live well. Daniel is this incredible example to us, and I want to remind you of that for a few reasons. In one sense, it's definitely going to be our theme of our study this morning, but it's also where we are. We are reading, we're working through Daniel, and we're in Daniel chapter 6, and I'm assuming most of you will know because this is the most famous chapter in the book of Daniel. Like, everybody knows Daniel in the lion's den. I mean, this story, this chapter, it's an amazing one, and it's worthy of us seeing it, and partly because of that, we want to be reminded of that. But it's also a transitional chapter. Daniel has 12 chapters, and chapter 6 really marks a transition For the first six chapters, it's really filled with incredible accounts of God working through Daniel, his life. Starting in chapter 7, we're going to switch much more to a prophetic focus. Much of the rest of the book of Daniel focuses on prophecy, though we will still see Daniel's life held out to us, and we'll note that through it. But there is this change that's going to take place, and so I'm drawing your attention to that this morning because we want to make sure that as we see that, that we hear very clearly what God has for us. This place where Daniel would be one who shines out for us in his character, that he would show us how to live right side up in an upside down world. Or maybe we could say it differently, how to be a good man or a good woman in a bad world. Yeah, that's kind of the idea. And I want you to know that's exactly what's taking place. In fact, we're going to note that in the first part of this chapter, we're only going to make it through five verses, so let's read them together, and then we'll talk about what it's going to show us. Pick it up with me, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over these three governors 
of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Wow. Daniel, he is a good man in a bad world. Well, that's again what's being laid out to us, and I want you to notice a few things that really marks him, that helps us to see that, and we'll begin by just saying it this way. Daniel was present. He's present in the world in which he's living. Now, I want you to think about that, and it's important to kind of even just feel the weight of this, because everything has just changed. If you've been with us in the book of Daniel, it just moved. Daniel's now serving in a brand new empire, the Persian Empire. Before this, he served in the Babylonian Empire for almost 60 years. 60 years, Daniel had been brought from Israel from, to the land of Babylon. He'd served under Nebuchadnezzar for around 40 years, and then for the last 20 years, different kingdoms there. But Daniel's still present in the midst of it, but it all changed. As we read the chapter last week, it ended with the Babylonian Empire coming to an end. And now the Medo-Persian Empire beginning. Everything's changed. Everything's transitioned in it. And yet Daniel does this amazing thing that he's able to still be there in the midst of it. Well, more on that in a moment. Quick technical thing. I don't want to spend much time on it. Some Bible students, can, you could definitely spend more time on it. But there is some question about how does this actually work? We have Darius mentioned in verse 1. As you notice, it says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom. And then we read that he's a king. Go down to verse 25. It says, Then King Darius wrote, But he's also ruling with Cyrus. Notice with me in verse 28. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Simply put, there is some question as to how this reign actually worked. Historically, it's a little bit hard for us to actually lock down. Darius's name has not yet been found in any writings that we have from that day. Not that that's a problem in any ways. It could be a title or it will be found. But there is some ways to even try to figure out how this works. Darius is known as the Mede. That's what he's going to be talked about in chapter 10. Daniel's going to call him Darius the Mede or the descendants of the Medes. Cyrus is the Persian. And yet we are in this Medo-Persian empire where there is kind of this conglomeration just historically and even biblically. Cyrus is the head. He's the one over the whole thing. But how that played out with Darius is still somewhat kind of questionable. I mean, it could be as simply as that Darius is over Babylon. I mean, in those days without internet or travel, you can only imagine reigning over a kingdom couldn't be done, you know, in any kind of, you know, you actually had to have regional people over it. And it could be that Darius is just the one over Babylon under Cyrus or a number of other things. Lots of interesting things there. But here's the thing again, I just don't have any doubt about it. I mean, I think we about, if you guys were here last week, we talked about it, that it was interesting for hundreds of years, people questioned Belshazzar 
Because in one sense, you know, they'd say, well, there's nothing found historically. And then about 100 years ago, they found, you know, solid archaeological evidence that just kind of like, yep, Belshazzar actually was the king. It will happen here as well. But we can just stand here confidently and go, however it works, in this realm, at least over Babylon, over that part of the empire, Darius is reigning. And one of the interesting things about that, leaving that aside, is that Daniel's able to step into that. Now, I want you to think about it this way. I don't think Daniel could be accused of or ever find that his heart was, in that sense, in league with the Persian Empire. It's not like he was part of a coup that overthrew, you know, the Babylonians to bring in the Persians. No, I want to tell you that was never Daniel's heart. Now, I can say that confidently because we have the rest of the book of Daniel. And in these very spaces under Belshazzar, under Darius, and under Cyrus, we know where his heart was. His heart was concerned for Israel. He's a Jew that has been displaced from his home and he's longing to see Israel restored. And he's long, I mean, he's praying about it. He's yearning for it. It's not that in any way he has, you know, aligned himself, you know, in one of these. His heart really is there, but he's able to be there. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, but certainly Daniel really did understand that God was the one that was sovereign over the world. Now, we know that because Daniel says it five times. Like five times in chapters four and five, he gets the chance of speaking this into the world that God is really the one that is orchestrating behind the scenes. Daniel 4, for example, says it this way. He says, the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will, and sets over it the lowest of men. He says, here's what I know. God reigns. He's the one that's ultimately in charge. He's the one that's putting that there. And that was solid in that space as Daniel watched the whole transition of empires. But it's certainly true for us as well. We think about what Paul would tell us in Romans. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, I think you probably totally get where I'm going, but let me just go there hey, you know, we just need to think this through for a moment. We live here. This is the first Sunday after the inauguration of the president of the United States, and that's been a transition for us. Now our president here in the United States is President Joe Biden. Now, I don't know how that finds you. I mean, maybe for some of you, you're really excited about that. Others are incredibly disappointed and struggling with this, but I just want to call you to this moment, this place of recognizing, you know what? God is sovereign. He, he's the one in charge. And, you know, ultimately, he allows things to happen. It doesn't mean it's always going to go well for any nation. Sometimes it's judgment. Sometimes it can play into other things. God knows all of that. But there is a space for us to come in and say, hey, we recognize this is where we are. This is the, the world in which we live in right now. I think about it in Timothy. Paul tells us that we need to be praying for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, that he's telling us that we ought to be those who are praying for those in leadership over our nation. Certainly that's true for us. I hope it's true for you right now, but let me just encourage it. Not for our own benefit, ultimately it's for the gospel. Yeah, he goes on in the next verse and he says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. What we're really crying out for is that God would cause the gospel to go forward in power, 
that he would make it work in our nation. And we should be praying for our nation into this space. And I just want to take a moment to say, hey, Daniel's a great example of this, that he had faithfully served in Babylon. And now somehow we've got a brand new kingdom and he's been able to make that transition. He's been able to, you know, not kind of get sacked as the previous government went out. He's been able to step into it into a very influential, influential place, which is incredibly powerful. But it draws me to this idea of being present, that Daniel was, was present in that space. Now, I recognize for some of you, I just made you angry. I mean, like, you're, I mean, you're, you're not even sure if you're going to listen to the rest of the message, but I'm just telling you, hey, just own it with me for a moment. I understand kind of the, the weight of this, but if I didn't frustrate some of you, I may just step on somebody else's toe and say this. Not only did Daniel, was he, was he able to make this transition, he was able to do it as an older man. He is at least 78 years old, maybe in his early 80s. Now, I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. I'm just trying to say, you know, there's just something about that that sometimes age makes us a little bit more inflexible. Is that kind to say that? You know, kind of the thing is like, well, it's like, that's just, I'm just not changing again. No, no, I mean, back in my day, you know, and, you know, we just have this propensity of not being present in the world in which we live. Daniel was. As an older man, he's been able to make this transition into a new kingdom and, and serve in the midst of that, and that's just an incredible picture. But it draws me to this idea of present, that Daniel was present. In fact, I want you just to note, in the, note the wording. I think it's kind of powerful. You get it there in verse uh, 2 where it says, And over these three governors, Daniel's kind of made one of the three leaders in the midst of this, and it says, Whom Daniel was one. I just like those words, and I recognize in one sense it's just a, it's a description of Daniel's place in the kingdom, but I still felt like it was something there. That it was saying, like, you know, here's Daniel, he's one that is able to do this. And I kind of felt like God was talking to me and maybe to you, and I'll just give it a try to say it this way. You know, I'm not talking to the entire church in America. I don't have that voice. Maybe I'm not even influencing every person in this room, but I am seeking to influence one. If someone said, you know what, as for me... <laughs> As for me, I will be one who, who wants to be present because I'm just telling you that's the only place you have and it's where God is calling you to live. One of my favorite quotes is from Jim Elliott and some of you have heard me share it before where he simply said, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, like that's all, wherever life has found you, be fully present there. I hold to you that that's what the Bible calls us to. I think about it in Ecclesiastes, Solomon would tell us, do not say, why were the former days better than these? You do not inquire wisely concerning this. Don't be like, well, you know, it was better in the past. He says, don't, that's, there's not even wisdom found there. We're to be like Paul who says, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I'm reaching forward to those things which are, are ahead. I can't live in the past, but neither can I live in the future. James would give it to us this way, where he says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and sell and make a profit. You know, that you're thinking, hey, this is where we're going to be in the future. This is where everything's going to go. He says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. He says, you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. 
Jesus told us not to worry about tomorrow. If I can try to say it to you in a very clear way, I believe biblically God is calling us to live today, that we leave the past behind, we leave the future in his hands, and this is the only space we can live. And if I can tell it to you again, it is the only space you can live. You can't go back. You can't go back and fix any mistakes. You can't relive the past. You can think about it. You can't live there. And you can't live in the future. We may never get there. Jesus might come back. I mean, who knows what tomorrow holds? All you have is today. All you have is to say, this is life. This is where I am. And Daniel's this incredible example that I want to hold out to you that in a world that was broken, and it was a bad world, it was an upside-down world, he lived present. He lived in the world in which he lived in for God faithfully. And honestly, we've talked about this before. He never gets to leave it. He will die here in the Medo-Persian Empire. He will die in Babylon, never getting to see the things that he's really longed for, but his heart is there, but he was present. And I like that. It's a good example for us to begin with to say, okay, so Daniel's this guy who, as we read this chapter, we begin to see it. He's there. Darius has set over the kingdom. He's come there in verse 1. It says he set over the kingdom on 120 satraps. And so kind of got this organizational structure of leaders who are managing the city. And Daniel's placed over them, over these in verse 2, you know, over these three, three governors of whom Daniel was one. So Daniel is there. I mean, he's one of the key leaders in this city, which is wild. I like that. Not only is he present, he's distinguished. Yeah, pick it up again there in verse 2. Over these, these 120 satraps, three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give an account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Yeah, Daniel's distinguished, and I want you to understand when we say that, we're not talking about his appearance. I mean, that's kind of how a distinguished works in our culture. We say someone is distinguished, and immediately we think, hey, they look, you know, kind of wise or, or smart, but this word is not used that way. It's not about appearance. It's about excellence. It has the idea that Daniel does what he does, and he did it well that he did it with excellence, that what was put before him so that when he's put into the kingdom, he's kind of put into this place of being one of these guys who are overseeing the kingdom. So you got these 120 and they're managing, they're walking through parts of it, but Daniel's there and he's trying to make sure that nobody's, you know, siphoning stuff off the edges and stealing and kind of doing the thing that often happens in politics. And he just simply says, no, he, he was just, he was managing that and he did it so well. I like the idea of distinguished. It has the idea of set apart or to shine or to be notable or to be remarkable. It was the kind of thing that when you saw him, it's like that, he did it well. What he's doing, he does well, which is exactly what the Bible calls you and I to do. In Ecclesiastes 9, it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Kind of a similar quote to the Jim Elliott quote, wherever you are, be all there. It's like, if you're gonna do it, do it well. I mean, if you're gonna be there, Whatever your hand finds to do, then you should do it. You shouldn't just kind of scythe by. You shouldn't just survive or do the very, I mean, you should do it well. It should mark who we are. And that's what Daniel's doing. I mean, he's in this space where he's doing what he's doing, and he's doing such an incredibly good job 
that Darius is impressed. Now, it's worth noting how he did it or why he did it, because it tells us in the text, right? You already saw it, but let's read it. Verse 3, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Yeah, the because is an interesting thing. The reason he's able to do this, the thing that's happening is because of the spirit that's in him. It's not just because he's just, you know, just, you know, his skill level there, but they recognize what that is. Now, you already know this, but I'm just going to say this. That spirit is the spirit of God. As a matter of fact, that's what he's already known for. Yeah, we saw it last week in Daniel chapter 5 where it told us, you know, that the queen mother had come and it spoke to Belshazzar and she had said, you know, there is a man in your kingdom and whom is the spirit of the holy God. There's a man, the spirit of God's in him. Belshazzar would say the same thing. Daniel was known for that and Christians, so are you. So are you. We are those that, that we'd look into this place and said the spirit of the holy God is in us, that there is that space where that should be true, but that's also the means by which we do this. David would say it in Psalm 16, where he simply said, oh, my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Or said differently, I have no goodness that doesn't come from you. That's incredibly powerful, and if I can just pause right here and just tell you that's incredibly true, that that we can think about it right now, I'm calling you to goodness. I'm calling you to be a good man or a good woman in a bad world, but there is a reality that we have to admit. There's the problem. We're not good. You're not. I mean, really, you're not. I mean, if you think you are, I'm sorry, you're not. You're broken. Sin has marked your life so that we could say, hey, if we're going to seek to, you know, muscle this thing in life, we're going to mess it up. Paul would say it in Galatians 5 where he said, you know, the works of the flesh, they're evident. They are, you know, their anger, their frustration, their animosity, they're the things that flow out of that. He says, that, that's who, that's what we do. If that's our strength, that's going to be us. But if the fruit of the Spirit, if we, if we walk in the Spirit, We'll have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and goodness. Yeah, goodness comes not because, you know, we've muscled it, but because the Spirit of God inside of us is seeking to just produce in us so that we can genuinely just just shine and, and be good and do what is good. And that's incredibly powerful, but also so incredibly hopeful. There's just not any Christian in this room, not any Christian joining us online that could look there and say, well, that's, that's, you know, that's not me. That's not who I am. I can't be good. No, in your flesh you can't. But the Spirit of God, you can. The Spirit of God, you can. And that's exactly how he did it. Daniel is marked by this. He's, he's marked by this in, in incredible place where in his world, he shined because of the Spirit of God that lived inside of him. Because of that, and it should be, can be so in yours. Now, for Daniel, this opened up for him incredible doors. It opened up for him space where it was actually moving upwards. Not only has he been able to transition from the Babylonian Empire to the Persian Empire and made one of the top three you know, kind of governors in the midst of that, but you already saw it, but we'll read it again, verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself, or he did excellent, above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. 
and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Darius is impressed. He's like, man, Daniel, he, is so, he does a good job. He's so trustworthy. So he's actually thinking, you know what? Maybe I don't need three men. Maybe I have one man over three who's over the 120. He's so impressed by Daniel, he's thinking about giving him a promotion. That's pretty cool. And I want to tell you it's often that way. I mean, Proverbs tells us, do you see a man who's excellent in, in what he does? He'll stand before kings. There's something true in that that's often there, but we also need to be entirely clear. It's not a promise. This isn't a sense that says, hey, if you do excellent in what you do, that you're automatically going to move forward in your business or you're automatically going to move up in your company. It doesn't always work that way because it is a bad world. It is a broken world. For a while, it didn't happen for Daniel. Though he had been exalted in the Babylonian kingdom for 20 years under Belshazzar and others, he had somehow been not paid attention to. We watch that happen and understand it's that way, and sometimes it's that way in our lives as well. Spaces where maybe we try to do what's right, and yet the world doesn't always honor that. And yet there's still power to, to recognize just the help and blessing of God. Think about how it says it in Colossians. It says, in whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ now, this passage is specifically speaking about what you do during the week, whatever that is, what job you have, or even in your retirement or any of those things. How do you spend your days? He says, whatever it is, whatever it is that you do, whatever your hand finds to do, you do it heartily, but do it for God, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance. There's something powerful about this. Again, I think about it. Sometimes that's the exact space that you find yourself in. You know, there's a space in my life where I was working at a bank in Albuquerque, and I had a boss who literally didn't like me. Didn't like me partly for who I was, but he didn't like Christians. I mean, he just made it entirely known. And I remember conversations that he'd have with me, and he'd tell me, you are never going to get advanced under my, 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 my leadership. You will never get promoted. You will never get those things. And I think he really wanted me to quit. You know, I think he really did. But honestly, I felt like that's where God had me. And, and so I stayed, and I honestly, I tried to do a good job. And I remember coworkers coming to me, and they'd be like, why? Why do you even try? Why? Well, like, what are you doing? I mean, you know he's not going to notice. You know he's not going to promote you. You know this is going to go nowhere. And I would tell them this. It's like, I'm not doing it for them. I, I want to be pleasing to God. I, I mean, God's going to reward me, and I want to live my life for his pleasure. And I want to tell you that's exactly where God is calling us to be, that there ought to be a sense that as we watch Daniel and this idea of him being distinguished or excellent, it ought to be true of you and it can be. Daniel's an example of somebody who didn't just survive, give the least that he could do in his day, make it through. He, he, he was excellent at what he did. And there's something about that goodness that is inspiring, and it ought to be so. It ought to be challenging to call you and I to that kind of life. But it gets better. So Daniel's doing this really good job. I mean, he's in the sense of, of, of just excelling, almost getting promoted, but not everybody likes it. You guys saw it, but verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Simply put, 
though Daniel's getting exalted, not everybody around there was excited about it. So he's got two other governors. He's one of three. three. He's got 120 satraps. They're, you know, kind of in the midst of that. They're not excited about Daniel's promotion. Now, we could ask questions like, why aren't they excited? I mean, it could honestly be that they were skimming stuff off the top, that they were, you know, kind of doing what often happens, you know, in that kind of political realm, which Daniel was supposed to be over, and it could be they didn't like that. Or it could be just spiritual. They didn't like him. I mean, they just felt oppressed by that. They talk about it even in Daniel 2, that they talked about the Jews. You know, there are these people in your nation. They don't serve your gods. They're just weird. And so it could be kind of an anti-God, anti-Semitic thought that works in there. Either way, they don't like it. And so they decide, hey, we're going to try to find something against Daniel. But notice what it says. So the governors and satraps, verse 4, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Yeah, faithful. That's what I want you to think about for a moment. This goodness of Daniel, not only did it make him do excellent and just, you know, kind of just giving his best in what he was doing, he was faithful. He was faithful in the midst of this. So they kind of, kind of, come up with this plan. Hey, we're going to search for dirt on Daniel. We're going to try to find something wrong with him. Now, you guys already know this is not like brand news. In fact, this is some of you are like, man, they were doing it back then too. You know, I mean, this whole kind of political thing that happens, it's not a brand new thing. It happened then as well. We've lived through a political world and watched through a year that's been crazy. We've watched both presidential, but I think even of Supreme Court nominations, and you guys watched this very thing happen where, you know, trying to get in the way of it, they'd go and search through their life to try to find some reason to kind of exempt them from moving forward. Sometimes going way back, I think through one of the, president, the, the Supreme Court ones, going back to the, the college days, and I'm like, what a crazy thing. But it's just this place of understanding, hey, not new, but here's the amazing thing. They search for dirt on Daniel, and they don't find any. They searched for something they could use against him to get in the way of his promotion, and they don't find it. Let's just read it again. Verse 4, so the governors and satraps, satraps fought to, sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Wow. I mean, here's this amazing thing. Like, they try to find something on him, and they don't, do, they don't find anything. And I just want to tell you, all by itself, just seeing this is a life-giving reality. To see that this is that space where, where life happens, where we could watch this place of, of seeing, hey, someone who actually does that, it can be inspiring. Now, let's just be quickly clear. This is not saying Daniel's perfect. It's not saying that he's some sinless man. No, biblically, we know that's not the case but he's a good man. He's a good man. He's a man that that kind of worked its way through in his life. And I just want to hold it out to you because I think in some ways we just need to see it. Maybe it's become such a rare thing. Maybe we live in a world where it's so rare to even find this. You know, I find there's a verse in Psalm 12 that begins it where David's praying and he simply says, help Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. 
It's an interesting verse, and I don't even know entirely why, but I'm just going to tell you, it's stuck in my heart. So I just pray it every now and then. I mean, so it just flows out. I mean, just like I'm just talking, it's like, Lord, help. Help, Lord, that the, the godly man ceases. The faithful seem to be disappearing. And just, God, help. I mean, just this, this longing where you look, I just want to find faithful people. I want to find people who are doing it. And it seems so often to just to be going away. And somehow it's just, it's just helpful to look and say, it could happen. I mean, here's this place where this man is faithful, where you look in this space and you can say, it actually happens. I mean, sometimes the bar has been lived so low in our culture Sometimes we're almost surprised to find out, you know what? It can be done. You know, there, there is such a thing as faithfulness. There is such a thing as, you know, not being that person. And there is such a place of seeing that. Maybe we live in those lukewarm days that Jesus talks about. Maybe it's the last age of the church. Some would say there in Revelation 3, where Jesus looks and he just says, hey, there's, you know, you're not either hot or cold. I mean, you're just lukewarm. You're not all the way, there's just nobody who's living there. And I just want to tell you, it doesn't have to be that way. There is a way of saying, hey, this could be done. And I just want to take a moment to challenge you to it. I want Daniel to inspire you today. I want Daniel to be a hero for you that you would say, it can, it can be done. You could live a life that's a good life. You can be a good man. You could be a good woman in a bad world that that's a possibility in your life. And I just want to call you to faithfulness. Now, here's the honest thing. For some of you, you're like, already blown that. <laughs> it's like, already done. You know, like, like, I already messed that up. I mean, if they're going to search for dirt, boy, I mean, I you know, might as well just give it to them because I already know. Like, I'm not that person. Now, the world might never be able to totally grab this, but I just want to tell you, in God's eyes, there's hope there because the power of forgiveness is better than you've ever imagined. That what Jesus gives us because he died on the cross to take away our sins is real forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness that the Bible would say it's like, you know, our sins could be cast as far as the east is from the west. That really forgiven. So that the kind of thing that from God's perspective, if somebody was to search for dirt in your life and some of you are like, man, they're just going to see it. God's like, I don't. I forgave you. Like, that's no, I don't see that on you. That I, I've washed that away from you. That's no longer defining you. It doesn't have to define you. I need to say that because, again, I know for somebody here, you just feel like goodness is so far beyond you because you've already made such a mess of it. You, you just feel like, why even try? But that's a lie. The power of forgiveness can bring incredible transformation where you can say, you know what, that's, that's what I was. It's no longer going to be who I am. I want to live a very different life. I want to live a life that, that moves forward in everything that else is there. And I just want to call you to faithfulness to start now. That maybe there's a space in your life just to say, hey, I could do that. I could be that. I, I could be that one that would have such a life. And I'm just calling you to that type of faithfulness. I call you now to shine to be one in this broken world that your life shines for God in faithfulness, that like Daniel, people would see that through you. He gives it to us this way in Philippians. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Wow. Did you hear all that? I mean, it's just a bunch there. Hey, Stop complaining. 
Stop disputing. Quit being, you know, those difficult people that are difficult people in the world. You want to be blameless and heart. You want to be a child of God, blameless and harmless without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It is a broken world. It is a bad world. But you live differently. You live differently so that you could shine as lights in the world, that you would be light in the midst of a dark world, that that call for us that Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world would be certainly true of you. And I'm just wanting you to see it in Daniel. I'm just telling you, it does me good to see it. It does me really good to say, wow. I mean, wow. I mean, here's this man living in a really just warped world upside down. And they try to find dirt on him and they could find none. If you've settled into some place where goodness is not even close and you're just like, it's just the way the world is, just the way people are, I'm just calling out of that. I'm calling you to a place of saying, no, leave that stuff behind. Leave the brokenness behind. Pursue goodness. Pursue this righteousness, being right with God and right with people. I'm just telling you it's possible. I'm telling you, you could be that way. Daniel is. I mean, he's a faithful man. I love that. So he's present in his world. He's distinguished, or he does what he does with excellence, and he's faithful. But you know what else? He's an incredibly godly man. Yet in the midst of all of this, that becomes something quite evident. Notice what happens. Verse 5 says, Then these men, who are trying to find something wrong with Daniel, said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then we're not going to find anything wrong unless we use this against him. They determined in studying Daniel's life that his godliness just surpasses everything else. When they, they, they kind of try to find wrong about him and they're trying to find something there, the thing that is just interesting to them is that for Daniel, his enemies determined that his loyalty and faithfulness to God take precedence over everything else in his life. I mean, you just need to hear this. You just need to be amazed. I mean, they're trying to look at his life, and this is what they come up with is, you know what? This man is faithful to God. That's what he is. So much so, they come up with the idea is if they make godliness illegal, Daniel's still going to choose godliness. Very specifically, prayer. They decide, hey, you know what? This man is so faithful. I mean, he's so faithful in his relationship with God that if we make prayer illegal, this is what we've determined in studying his life, he's still going to pray. He's still going to pray because he is that faithful. He is that kind of, of faithful in the midst of that, which is an absolutely incredible thing. I mean, you just got to imagine what this looks like for them as they try to look at this and try to figure out what his, his life is, and they just determine yeah, this is, this, is, this is the priority for him. And it's meant to be that way for you and I. It's meant to be that way for you and I. So let me just ask it applicationally. What priority is godliness in your life? I mean, is it really take precedence? Now, godliness, real godliness, flows out of a changed life, being transformed in the inside out. That's just true. But from the world's perspective, it's so often seen in what we do. Things like prayer, Bible study, church, holiness, like saying no to bad things. I mean, how important is this for you? I mean, if people were set loose on your life, 
if people were trying to search for dirt in your life, and let's say they couldn't find it, what would they discover about your relationship with God? I mean, if we could interview your neighbors and your friends and your family, what would they tell us? I mean, what would they, would they, would they say, you know what? <laughs> Boy, she prays. I mean, you know, good days, bad days, you just know that he does that. I mean, he reads his Bible. I mean, hands down. I mean, nothing ever gets in the way of that. Boy, they gather as, as, to, with God's people. They don't ever miss. Now, let me be very careful with that. Hey, some of you are watching online, and that's no kind of, you know, jibe at you. Hey, for physical kind of protective reasons, some of you are staying home right now. We bless that. But I know this. For some of you, you're so faithful that when you can't be present, you're watching online. That's a good thing. What an amazing thing to be someone's like, I don't, I don't, I don't miss that. I don't skip. I don't, I, I mean, yeah, these are things that you could, you could set your clock by me. You could set your, because your, this is something I do without, without missing it. Now that's Daniel. I mean, he's, I mean, they just come up with this idea. They're like, you know what? If we make prayer illegal, he's still going to pray. And they're right. That's what we'll talk about next week. They're right. Sadly, we live in a world that, for many of us, we've gotten used to such a low level of living that that kind of faithfulness almost seems impossible. We're like, yeah, I pray when I feel like it, as long as I don't have a headache, you know, and long as you know, uh, long as I don't run out of time and oversleep, you know, then I'll, then I'll, then I'll pray. Yeah, I read my Bible as long as there's not a good show on, you know, as long as there's not something I need to to, to read in the news, you know. I mean, I'll, I'll read my Bible. Yeah, yeah, I do church as long as it doesn't get in the way of my fun, you know. I mean, we live in a world that for many of us, faithfulness, I mean, nobody could set their clock by us. Nobody could say, hey, you could count on it. This person has put their relationship with God more important than anything else. But that's what I'm calling you to, not in kind of a legalistic way, but in a beautiful way that like Daniel, you could say, hey, here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm going to be this kind of person that, you know, you could look at it because I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. And that's going to find itself rooted in my relationship with God. Good days, bad days, when I feel like it, when I don't, when, when it's easy, when it's hard. I mean, these are things that I do and they've taken such precedence in my life that they determine the course of my life. That's Daniel. That's this good man in a bad world. And it's certainly part of his goodness. It's certainly part of why he can do that. And I just want to hold it out to you. Again, not to beat it over your head, but hopefully to give you an example. Because again, for some of us, we've just not seen it. We're like, I don't, I don't know if I've met anybody like that. I mean, everybody I know is pretty flaky. You know, it's like, you know, you want to pray? Yeah, no, not today. You want to read your Bible? Well, you know, I did last week. You know, I mean, instead of saying, hey, these are things that are solid in my life. I think about it this way. In Peter, he would tell it to us this way. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. He says, beloved, like this is a kind, this is a loving, this is a gentle thing. He says, beloved, I am just begging you as people who don't belong in this world. And Christian, you don't. You're a sojourner, you're a pilgrim. We're passing through. Heaven is our home. He says, that's who you are. Don't let sin boss you around. Don't let sin reign in your life. Don't let abstain from flesh and lust that are seeking to war against who you are. Hey, say no to that. And then he says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, 
glorify God in the day of visitation. It's really powerful. It's really powerful, so just make sure you're paying attention for a moment. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have your conduct honorable. I want you to be in a space that you do what's right. Like, you be a good man. You be a good woman. He says, I want you to have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Like, not just in church. (laughs) Not just here where everybody's watching. Out there. Out there. Wherever you are, live, be a good man. Be a good woman among this world. Live differently. I want you to have honorable contact that when, and it's worth noting it's a when. It's not a maybe. It's not a like, well, this might happen. It's like, no, this is going to happen. If you do what's right, they're going to speak against you as evildoers. That's hands down going to happen. This world is at war against God. You live with him, then it's not a uh, maybe this will happen. Like Daniel, you will become a target that this world will seek to mock you and make fun of you and criticize you. He says, it's going to happen. That even though they talk bad about you because of who you are, he says, it might happen. This is not a, a promise. It's not a sentence that it always happened, but it might happen. That by your good works, by being a good man, a good woman, doing what's right, which they observe, which they watch, which again, I'm just telling you, they do. I just want you to know that. You might not really believe it, but if I really did interview your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers, they would notice. They, they know what's important in your life. They know what's there. They're watching your life whether you realize it or not. But he says, live it so that when they watch you, when they see you, they might glorify God. They might glorify God in the day of visitation. Hey, what does that mean? Well, we've talked about it before, but let me give it to you quickly. This is my understanding of the day of visitation. I think everybody has one. I think every soul has a day. If you could plot out lives from birth to death, and you could plot out the the trajectory of their soul, there's a day. There's a day in every life when their eternal destiny is decided. Sometimes they're very radical days. Sometimes it's a much more just, it's slow moving, but there's a day where everything changes, where someone begins to turn towards God and and surrender to Him, want what He has in their life, just wants to to, to know Jesus, or solidly hardens their heart against Jesus. I think every day, every person has a day that is that deciding point, that, that key point. Now, Again, that's my opinion of what the day of visitation is. But if that's true, then here's the idea. On that day, when someone's at that day, you want your life to give them reason to say yes to Jesus. You want your life to be that so that when they're thinking, you know, is God really real? Is Jesus really a son? Is there a savior? Is there hope? Is there forgiveness? Is there a heaven? On that day when they're wrestling with those kinds of questions, what you want to have happen is that when they think about you, they think, well, it sure looks real to them. Boy, I I look at this man, I look at this woman, and they seem to have it. They have what I want. Their life compels me to say this might be true. You don't want it to go the other way, where it's like, well, 
Look at them. <laughs> like, surely, I mean, they don't give me any reason. And so he says, you want to live so well. You want to have this honorable contact among the Gentiles so that when they talk against you, it could happen that they might, by the good works, by you living a good life, that they'll say yes to Jesus, that they'll, say, they'll glorify Jesus, that they'll, they'll walk in that. And I want to tell you, that's the aim. That's the point of it, to live here so well that people are drawn to Jesus and our life gives them reason. And I'm just calling every Christian here today to say that's a worthy reason for you to seek to be good, to be a good man, to be a good woman, and a bad world for the sake of people's souls. Hey, can I spend that just for a moment? Maybe you're here. Maybe you're in our overflow. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're right here in this room. And you don't know Jesus. You know, crazy thing, today could be your day. Today could be the day of visitation in your life where you're making a decision. Like, do I re- is this true? I hope our lives compel you. I hope you could say that you see in us here a genuineness, an authenticity, a, a trueness of Jesus. Where we haven't done that, please forgive us. I mean, in one sense, I'm aware of just the lukewarmness of our culture. And it grieves me at times that maybe people haven't seen it. But I'm just telling you, if that's you today, we hope that we would help push you closer to Jesus, that you today would say yes to him, that you would acknowledge and you would glorify God and you would recognize that he's true and he's real. And if that's you today, we plead with you today towards the reality of Christ, towards being forgiven so that your sin could be passed as far away as the east is from the west, so that you could enter into life that would make heaven your home. And if that's you today, we plead with you today hey, surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. It's worth doing. Leaving that with you, I just come back again and say it to us. That's Daniel. I mean, here's this man who is living this godly life and and living such a priority that he's present, that he's, you know, distinguished, that he's faithful, that he's godly, and his life and his generation literally is making an impact. We saw Nebuchadnezzar probably get saved in chapter four, and maybe even in this chapter, Darius. Hey, look there with me for a moment. You got your Bibles there in chapter 6. Fast forward to the end of the chapter. Darius is speaking. It says, Then King Darius wrote, verse 25, To all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. Well, that's pretty cool. Did Darius get just saved? I don't know if he did, but he was impacted by Daniel. And I have great hope that some were impacted by that. And I want to call you to that kind of life. I want to call you to be a Daniel, to be one who's present, distinguished, faithful, and godly, that you would be a good man or a good woman and a bad world. And I just want to hold it out to you as a possibility that somehow Daniel's meant to speak to you and I in a way that would show us that that's that way. Daniel impacted his generation. I still think he's impacting this one, that he can be one that would say that, hey, it's possible. It's possible to live right side up in an upside-down world. It's possible to be a good man or a good woman in a bad world. And for God's glory, I just call you to that.
So close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever you have open, and let's take a couple moments and go before God in prayer about this. I don't know where this has found you. Maybe, again, you're here and you don't know Jesus, and this is your moment to surrender your life to Jesus. Well, we want to invite you to that. We want to invite you into that space where in this time of prayer, which we're going to have in just a moment, we just want to invite you to ask Jesus into your life to to be saved and, and surrender to him. We invite you there. But then I just, again, speak to those of us who know Jesus, that we're Christians, and and I just want to give you Daniel as an example. It can be done. It can be done. You can be good in a bad world. It can be done. Maybe, again, we live in such a lukewarm, where it's lived so poorly, we just haven't seen it as much as we ought to have seen it. Faithfulness, excellence, godliness. But you can do it. Today I call you to learn from Daniel, to be a Daniel, in this generation. So wherever that has met you, whatever God has spoken to you, would you take the next moment as we go before God in prayer and just ask him to meet you in that. I'll do the same and we'll close together in worship in just a moment. God, you are good. It's wonderful to know that, that goodness is marked by you. There's no shadows in you. There's no brokenness. There's no sin. There's no ugliness. There's goodness in you. By your very nature, you are that. And God, you would work that goodness in us. Think about your promise that through the power of the Spirit, through walking in the Spirit, we could display the fruit of the Spirit, that we could be have love and peace, that we could have goodness. God, I ask for that here. I ask that you would work that in a fresh way, that you would help Daniel to inspire us, to to cause us to see a life well-lived that can be lived. God, where there's brokenness, where that's not been how we've lived, would you just meet us in fresh forgiveness right now? Would you wash our sin away in the blood of Christ, cause it to be just cast away as far as the east is from the west, and then help us to step forward and seek to be good, to do what's right, to do the right thing, even when the world is so wrong. God, help that, just inspire us, draw us after that. Do it in such a way that people would see it, that we would be those who shine as lights in this world. We'd be those who on the day of visitation, 
our lives would give reason for people to glorify you. We ask for that, we plead for that, and we trust this into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. By God's grace, I just simply call you to be good in a bad world. May God meet you in that. If you need prayer in any of that, we'd love to talk to you. If you need to surrender to Jesus, we'd love to be a part of that. Please reach out to us after the service. But right now, let's worship. So would you stand with me? We're going to close in worship and just surrendering to Jesus, asking him to work this into our lives. And as we aim at that, I just want to bless you in God's name.